0: Welcome to a brand new episode of Disclosure Art. New broadcast from the good people at the Voice of Prophecy. My name is Sean Boonstra. For the next little while, however many minutes we're together, I'm going to be your host from right here at the foot of the beautiful Rocky Mountains in Loveland, Colorado. In fact, from where I'm sitting right now, I could actually be up in Rocky Mountain National Park in just over 30 minutes. And uh, with a good tailwind, a little under 30 minutes. Today I've got a very special guest in studio. In addition to my drop-dead gorgeous wife, Jean, who's across the desk from me right now. Jean, how are you today?
1: Hi, Sean. Good. Yeah. It's exciting exciting to be in the new studio.
0: I mean, you're the special guest, but we have another special guest today. We do. Yeah. If, if you've listened to the Voice of Prophecy in the past, folks, it's somebody you might already know and recognize. Clifford Goldstein will be joining us today, well-known Christian author and one-time editor of Liberty Magazine. Now, not too long ago, Cliff and I were involved in sort of a public debate, and I'm putting the word debate in air quotes. You can't see me, but I'm putting quotes around it because we probably agreed on more than we disagreed on. But This debate, in quotes, was on the campus of Washington Avenue University, and we dealt with all kinds of topics, ranging from religious liberty in America to sensitive issues like gun control. And Cliff, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
2: Always good to hear your voice. I know we'll have some fun.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I remember Cliff when we had that debate some time ago. um, I remember the moderator at the end saying that I pretty much demolished you and your arguments in front of Uh, all of those people, and I feel I feel bad about what we did to you. But you know, you kind of had to leave with your head hanging, and uh, we'll be a little gentler with you today.
2: You, I'm used to that. So (laughs) used to that. So it's nothing new. No, (laughs) No. Ah,
0: Cliff. I know that um, you and I have, uh, have talked a lot in the past and it turns out we have a lot of similar uh, passions and beliefs and I know that you're a big fan of philosophy and theology and it has really formed a, a significant part of your ministry dealing with issues like religious liberty and, and other issues like, say, the existence of God and so on. Tell me, what, what are we going to be talking about today? What do you bring into the show?
2: Well, I... In... <laughs> You know, you've heard the name, the new atheists.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And,
2: uh, they, they, somebody, they call them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, Sam Harris, and the late Christopher Hitchens. And actually, there's really nothing new about them. Right. Uh, their arguments, they're pretty much the same old arguments that have been used for years. And some, some of the arguments are, to a certain degree, better than others and right. so forth. But. It, They've been particularly Dawkins has made a lot of news he's made some very good selling books though all of them have written written books and and they've really brought the debate out in in public and about the question of the existence of god and so that that's disturbing. really where we're
0: gonna that's really where we're gonna go today the existence of God right yeah yeah, well, yeah you I'm know it's about, interesting yeah, you, you mentioned the, the arguments
2: for it against it why do people believe why do people not believe and right. uh and so forth, and yeah, you know, I think that would be a fun uh, interesting.
0: You, you know what's it's interesting world. about those four horsemen, Cliff, is that uh, I actually turns out you've heard of the the six degrees of separation theory. Mm-hmm. I discovered oh, about two years ago, that I'm one degree removed from Sam Harris. We actually have a mutual friend. And uh, I've been itching to get invited somewhere where Sam Harris would show up. I'm probably not as brilliant a debater as he is. But uh, as you're mentioning the Four Horsemen, I thought I'd tell you, what I've discovered I actually have a connection. So, yeah, yeah. kind of cool, right? Um,
2: Yeah, he's – anyway, he's quite vociferous in what he (laughs) – he believes, and he actually even wrote a book. I believe it was he wrote a book a while back. I, I read it. I'm trying to remember the name now. He was trying to argue from science alone that you could devise morality. Oh, interesting. And, and it, you know, it, I don't think it worked, but it was still, I think probably he did as good of a job as you could trying to de- use something like science to devise Morality. So he's a sharp cookie. I I disagree with his premises, but from his premises, he argues pretty good case if you accept his premises. Anyway.
0: Sure. You know, and I think I want to get to that at some point in the show and talk about what some of the things they're saying. These guys aren't. They're not dumb. You know, the reaction that a lot of people have when they disagree with somebody, the first thing they think is, well, they're just not informed. Mm -hmm. And then if they find out, oh, these people are informed, they think they're dumb. And then after that, if they find out they're not dumb, they think they're evil. Those are sort of the three stages of arguing with somebody. But we need to understand, you know, a lot of people disagree, especially if they're people of faith. But these guys make pretty, you know, rational arguments, well-thought-out arguments. Mm -hmm.
2: It's it's we're working from different Premises. Yeah, that's that's a, they might look at the same things that we look at and they draw different conclusions. And from those and then with those conclusions, then sometimes those conclusions become their premises. And if you're working with different premises, you're in a sense you're speaking different languages. But no, no, they aren't anything but dumb.
1: Mm-hmm. No, exactly. Well, well looking at the, the four men, their backgrounds, uh, with the exception of the late Hitchens, all three—Dawkins, Harris, Dennett—they're scientists. You know, Harris is a neuroscientist. So clearly, these are educated, intelligent men. As as you guys have explained, Harris is a neuroscientist. I didn't mm-hmm. know that. Yeah. Well, well, that's actually that's one what of the—that's <laughs>
0: actually one of the observations people have made. Is like Dawkins knows a lot in his own field, but he's kind of wandered, perhaps, into fields that he doesn't know. So he's a lousy theologian, is the comment I've heard. Mm-hmm. But but listen, before we get to before we get to these guys, Cliff walk us through, you know, let's talk about our own premises a little bit. Um, Let's talk about where you and I are starting from, where a lot of, perhaps, the listening audience is starting from. Uh, What reasons do we have for believing in the existence of God? I mean, this is something that people have wrestled with for millennia. Uh, What are some of the reasons that people give for believing in the existence of a a divine being?
2: Well, there are a lot of different ways you can go on this. I, I can tell... I came to belief in God totally on an experience. I didn't I didn't work my way logically and rationally, you know, point by point by point. I I had a ver I was always somewhat a seeker, a seeker for truth, and uh I um had some experiences that got me to believe in God. In fact, it's very interesting, but there's an old, old phrase called Credo ut intelligam.
0: All right, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to translate that one.
2: Yeah, yeah. Credo ut intelligam, and even though I only read it, I read it only about ten years ago. It blew my mind because it was written by a guy who lived a thousand years ago. Okay, and the gist of it is, I believe in order that I may understand. In other words, I became a believer in God first. I had a a, a, a personal experience. Which suddenly, wow! There really is a God. I had a whole new set of first premises, a whole new set of first principles, and then after I became a believer, then I started over time to build an intellectual foundation for my faith. Now I realize that's not the way it always happens, right? And uh, but but in the end, even if the, uh, even putting that aside, what do you say to someone? Well, I've never had a Damascus Road experience. I've never had. You know, God speak to me out of a cloud or whatever. I still think one of the one of the this is an old rational argument. It's it's the it's sometimes called the cosmological argument. It's old. It's nothing new, and yet I still to this day think it's pretty powerful. Okay, so
0: basically, sp- spell it out.
2: Well, it's basically at the. Well, look at it this way. There's only two kinds of possible existence. Let's get a little metaphysical here, okay? Okay. And, and And if you could find a fault in it, let's deal with it now. There's two kinds of existence. Something either, whatever exists was either once created, and that meant if it was created... Then it once did not exist. Okay, so some sometimes philosophers call it it's a contingent existence. Okay, it doesn't have to exist because at one point it didn't exist. Okay, okay. Look around the Earth, Sean Boonstra, my laptop,
0: the the universe. I'm even. glad I, I made it second in your list, Cliff. I'm glad that I ranked above the laptop. <laughs>
2: okay but anyway something once didn't exist then came into existence okay that's one possible kind of existence and then the only other possible kind of existence is something that had always existed right it was always there it it was something that was necessarily existent something that once didn't exist something that once could not have not existed. It always existed. So you've got, the way I see it only, you know, as I've gotten older, everything is less black and white. Boom, boom, boom. But here is one that over the years seems as fervent, seems as solid as ever. Something was either contingent and didn't exist and then came into existence or something always existed. And so the question is, if something didn't exist, did didn't once didn't exist and then came into existence, how could it possibly come into existence? It couldn't have made itself. Right. Mm-hmm. Something else had to make it. Well then, well, what made that which made it before? Well, then something made that and you're going on and on in an infinite regress. So it seems the only logical explanation, or the most logical explanation, is that. Something that always existed, that had to exist, that could not not exist, had created it. And what else would that be but God? Now, and I think that's a very powerful depiction of the God of the Bible.
0: Now, so that's one now, argument. I'm, I'm, I think I'm it's hearing as, good as far as it goes. I'm hearing. I'm hearing a couple of things behind it, though. There are almost. There are almost shades of some of the things that Plato and Aristotle wrote about with first cause. If it exists, something caused it to exist. But the other thing that I'm here, I guess Aquinas really grabbed that horse. He took the, you know, Aquinas was one of the first theologians to sort of start blending classical Greek philosophy with with Christian theology. And and he came up with some interesting things. Borrowing from Plato and Aristotle, he said there's got to be a first cause. Everything has a cause, so those would be the contingent created things. Um, And that first cause must be God. Now, the thing that I hear some saying, and in particular, I think I'm thinking about Richard Dawkins. Who created God. Yeah, he he Mm -hmm. bounces all the way back and says, what a lousy argument. Who created God? Because he must have had a cause, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's
2: just missing the point. He's looking at it purely from a purely naturalistic materialist. The whole point is that nothing created God. God always was there. To ask who created God, it's almost like asking what's north of the North Pole. Okay, Mm -hmm. nothing. You know, it's a dumb question because God, by his definition, always existed. Now, you know what's happened though. You talk about Dawkins and you talk about some of these people. They've come up. See, they've come up with, 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 with their most logical answer they have for this. Okay, right, right. because they've come up with an answer for this. Okay, and I believe it's the most logical answer they could come to. Okay, so whatever created, say something created the universe. Well, something. Well, what created that? Okay, something created that, and you got the infinite regress. Outside of an eternal existing God, what's the only other thing that doesn't need an explanation? Right. Okay? There's only one other thing that doesn't need an explanation. Whatever else is, you know, unless it eternally existed, something had to explain it. Well, they've come up. See, there are books out now. There are—I've got a book on my iPad— on this topic, I've heard um, Stephen Hawking's talk about it. Okay, others okay. talking about it. They uh, they argue that the universe arose from nothing.
0: Ex nihilo. Nothing it's... doesn't need
2: an explanation. You know, right. you, you you got the Big Bang. Fine. You needed. You know, where did the Big Bang come from? There's a lot of math, a lot of physics, a lot of science in the Big Bang. But if you've got nothing. You don't need to explain where it comes from so they've got everything the universe all existing was created from nothing and and they claim they've got the math to prove it well come on but what i'm saying is in many ways that's the most logical argument they've got because if you don't want an eternal existing god and what else does it need an explanation? Well, nothing doesn't need an explanation. Voila! There's so, the answer. So now those are the two the options.
1: They say to prove it. Yeah. So it's God or or it's nothing. Interesting. That's, well,
2: well yeah. yeah. In fact, I spoke at a secular college campus a while back. And I'm very careful with these kids. You know, you can't be dogmatic about anything. No, or they'll go, are,
0: running, they'll go running for the safe room. That's the way college has yeah, gone. Yeah. You know, we watch videos of puppies because you said something that uh, that was controversial, Cliff.
2: Well, well, I found these kids. I mean, I remember one point, and, and they would challenge me on things. And once or twice, hey, you're right, I back off. Mm-hmm. I backed off. But on this point, I brought this up, and I said, this is the line of reasoning. Mm-hmm. And then I said, okay, now you tell me that. What do you, without being dogmatic, because, you know, we're all, it's a certain amount of faith. I wasn't there at the creation. I didn't see God create the world. I didn't see God create the universe. But I said, in the end, you you got really two, the the two only really logical options you've got is an eternal existing God created the universe or nothing, nothing created the it's,
0: universe. it's interesting to me that they're willing to ascribe to material non-sentient things um what you know 90 some percent of the planet believes in a divine being of some sort they have a memory of it and they're willing to ascribe to the universe itself it's non-sentient it's purely physical it doesn't need an explanation for its existence but they if i'm hearing you right they're pushing saying but god you better explain that one
2: yeah, well, if they're they're a priori for whatever reason, they're just a, they're pushing out the idea of a god, of a supernatural divine being. So they've got to come up with something, and uh, frankly, you know, uh, as I said, I think it's quite logical. I think it's as logical as they could be. That the universe arose from nothing, but I'll leave it to your listeners to decide. Well, (laughs) okay. Speaking of listeners,
0: we're going to have to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Clifford Goldstein after these messages, and uh, stay tight. We've got a lot more to talk about. Does God really exist, and how do we know?
1: Kids, have you ever had questions like, is there anything or anyone out there other than humans? I'm Naomi Boonster and maybe you're wondering, where did the human race come from? To get answers to tough questions like this that most adults don't even know the answers to, try the Kids' Own Bible Lessons. Visit BibleStudies.com or pick up the phone and call 888-456-7933 for a set of free Kids' Own Bible Lessons. There is never a cost or obligation, just like the Discover Bible Guides. These are our free gift to you. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today. Does God really exist? At some point, each of us will be faced with this all-important question. If you would like to explore today's topic further, then you will enjoy the book, Out of Thin Air. Visit our website, VOP.com, and search for our online store. Inside the pages of this book, Sean explores the arguments for and against God, and you will discover that nothing comes out of thin air.
3: Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions like, Where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers and guides like, Does my life really matter to God? and a second chance at life. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. Born under the cloud of illegitimacy, his
4: real father, far more powerful than anyone could imagine, the unlikely king who ignited a global movement, The world forever changed. His legacy, an empire reaching across centuries. His name, Constantine. Shadow Empire, changing the way you think, the way you live, and even the way you believe. War, power, influence. A battle for your mind in the name of religious freedom. A legendary story, a warning for today. Shadow Empire starting April 28th. Exclusive footage from the land where it all started. Conspiracy, secrecy, your future. ShadowEmpire.com, find a location near you. Shadow Empire, it's not what you've been told.
0: Welcome back to Disclosure, the brand new broadcast from The Voice of Prophecy. My name is Sean Boonstrap. We've been sitting down with Clifford Goldstein. My wife and I are here in studio in gorgeous Loveland, Colorado. And we've been talking about the existence of God. Just before we went to the break, we were really talking about a uh, cosmological argument that people have used over the centuries to describe the existence of God, or at least to try and intellectually justify the fact that God exists. And uh, Cliff, as we're heading into the break, I was going to ask you, I didn't get time, but I was going to ask you, what other arguments uh, have Christians used to sort of encourage people to consider the existence of God as a rational option?
2: Well, yeah, there's I think there are a lot of arguments, and they're good arguments. They're good as far as they go. I mean, if they were flawless, then I guess everybody would believe. Well, not necessarily, because maybe not everybody's rational. But there's another one that I have always found somewhat compelling. It's sometimes it's called the moral argument for the existence of God. Okay, Okay. so let's look for a minute. we're, we're, We're Saying that either God does exist or he doesn't exist. And by God, I'm talking about the Judeo Christian God. I'm okay, the all knowing, all powerful, all loving okay. right. God. That that's the context we're in. Now, let's take let's look at the question of morality. Now, before I go anywhere, this is not an argument that you have to believe in God to be moral.
0: No, okay? I've met I've met lots of secular Self-professed atheists who live good and decent lives, and they're not. I know some secular Absolutely.
2: people that are better than religious people.
0: Oh okay? no, that's I've... another.
2: What was the last time a secular person drove a drove an airplane into a tower? I mean, no, that's, exactly. I, that's another. That's not my argument here. My argument, my argument is, is more metaphysical, if nothing else. It's dealing with where does morality come from? Okay, let's say we take the Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris view of uh, Chris Hitchens' view of reality. There is no God. We're purely, you know, atoms in the void. We're, we're, we're nothing but quantum fields, whatever. Okay, so that means then, but we are moral beings. We have a concept of morality. So that means morality is a purely human construct. It's like impressionist art. Right. It's like Baroque music. It's like cakewalk Jazz, okay. It's a human creation, okay. And different cultures cre- have different moralities, which we see that already, okay. That's one argument. Morality is purely human,
0: and there's so. A this, it's just a set of rules we've created. We evolved yeah. to the point where we realized we'll all do better if we live by these rules, so yeah. we invented the rules.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's a human. Const- it's a human construct. That's one view. The other view. Is you know the more biblical view? There's a transcendent existence. There's a transcendent Creator, and just as He has created physical laws to guide our lives, He's created a moral law as well. And and the concept of morality that we have is something that we 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 are. It, it comes from God. Okay, we sense this divine being, or even if with that we have just a sense of right and wrong, and its origins are ultimately transcended. Well,
0: do, you, do okay. you know what I find interesting about that? If you go back in an, any number of cultures to where they first, you know, Hammurabi in the Babylonian tradition or Moses sure. oh, in, yeah. the, in the Jewish story— um, and the Christian story and they all seem to feel the need if let's say let's say they're making it up. I mean that's not what I believe at all but let's say for example that Moses made up the ten Commandments one day he just he he yeah. laid awake at night and thought how could we better live together and he made it up Now that's not what I believe I want to be very careful but let's say that that is the case for the sake of argument. He yeah. still went out and felt the need to say this was handed down to me from God yeah oh. and and why would he feel that need? Why would he feel a need? to explain that morality came from something higher than human. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Well, it's,
2: it's like, in fact, at one time on one of Richard Dawkins' websites, they had a contest for a secular Ten Commandments. And, oh, no and kidding. They, yeah, they had a secular Ten Commandments, but I wrote something about that, and I just said, well, that's all good, but who's doing the commanding? <laughs> right, <laughs> Who, right, right, right. Well, like, I, I said it would be better to call it Ten Suggestions. But, but anyway, let's come back to this. Let's go back. You got two views. Okay. Let's for a moment assume the secular view is the right one. Okay. Okay. Morality is purely a human construct. Okay. Let's go, of course, everybody owes. At some point, we always go back to the Nazis. Okay? Yeah. That's what he's going to ask. But you know, the,
0: what, what, what's that principle? They say you've actually lost your argument the minute you invoke yeah. the Nazis. I can't remember yeah, the name yeah. of that yeah. principle. Let's, let's
2: just, go here for a minute. Yeah. Maybe you could say I have lost the argument here. But let's just assume, <laughs> let's assume for a minute that the Nazis won the war. Yep. Okay. They won the war. And under Joseph Goebbels' brilliant propaganda... Remember now morality is a human construct it arises from our neurons and and neurotransmitters it comes out of us the same way you know jazz and impressionist art comes from so say he wins the, the nazis win the war and with his vast propaganda machine he convinces everybody in the world that if you've got one jewish grandparent right You are worthy of death, okay? Now, he convinces everybody of that, okay? Everybody on on a horizontal, remember, all we have is the horizontal here, okay? No transcendence. Anybody with a Jewish grandparent is worthy of death. So the question is, is that wrong?
0: Right. Well, (laughs) you know, if everybody's in agreement, all you really have is a contract, Uh, it's... But let's say now that I live in that society and I say, I'm not going to live by those rules. That's, that's the majority opinion. When I step outside of it, all I've done is broken contract with other people. And, and without something above all of that, isn't my opinion as valid as the majority's?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that, so that's the point. Now, if you're uncomfortable, though, I'd say to people, okay – Everybody agrees it is, but if you're uncomfortable with that, why? Why? I mean, morality is a purely human construct, and yet all humans. so my argument is is that mm, maybe there is this idea of something that transcends the purely human. Maybe there's something about this uh, above it if you're uncomfortable with that. And then simply, I would say this is indication of 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 god indication that there's a transcendent a transcendence where we to a certain degree tap into and that's where we get some concepts of morality right. and that what else would that be but god so that's listen, another
0: argument listen we've been we've been listening to cliff cliff i'm going to have to interrupt for a moment we uh we've been listening to cliff goldstein we're discussing the existence of god you're listening to disclosure and unfortunately on some radio stations we're about to sign off you can still listen to the rest of this broadcast. We're going to continue on. You can visit voiceofprophecy.com or vop.com and find this episode with Clifford Goldstein of Disclosure at the Voice of Prophecy's uh, website. If you're fortunate enough to listen to a radio station where we are going to continue, you will hear us come back after the break. We have been talking about the existence of God. We've looked at the cosmological argument. We're discussing the moral argument. If you're signing off, we'll see you at the website. And if you're not signing off, we'll be Right back after this short break.
3: Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions like, Where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers in guides like, Does my life really matter to God? and A second chance at life. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions.
4: Born under the cloud of illegitimacy, the unlikely king, who ignited a global movement. The world forever changed. His name, Constantine. Shadow Empire, war, power, conspiracy, a battle for your mind, a warning for today. Shadow Empire, starting April 28th. Find a location near you, shadowempire.com.
1: Welcome back, I'm Jean Boonstra and I'm your co-host of Disclosure, a new radio program with From the Voice of Prophecy with Sean Boonstra, my husband is your host, and today you are joining us in the second half of a program where we have been talking to Clifford Goldstein, and today we've been having a lot of fun, we've been talking about the existence of God. Um, we've talked a little about the the arguments of uh, a group of men who are sometimes known as the Four Horsemen of New Atheism, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Daniel Dennett, the late Christopher Hitchens. And we've talked about the cosmological argument for God and the moral argument for God. And uh, Cliff, just before we we took a break, you were talking a bit with us about the moral moral argument for God. We talked about whether maybe this is a human construct or it's something that's transcendent from the Creator. And um, I found it interesting as we explored the idea of morality being a human instrument, I thought, well, historically, a lot of what cultures have adopted in, in, you know, in the time that we know of, the morality, the code of morality has been very similar and your example of what if the Nazis won World War II, what would our moral moral guidebook look like would be very different. If this was a human construct, would not different cultures across time in history have different types of moral codes and, and not so much similarity across the board?
2: Well... I- in many ways there are differences but mm-hmm. on a certain level but you get higher up mm-hmm. you get, and I think in most cultures it's wrong to steal it's wrong to kill you know, uh, certain there's certain sexual taboos and so forth and it is kind of amazing how across these cultural lines you do have these and some mm-hmm. would argue then that this is a this is this this is points to, to transcendence. I don't know how far you want to push that. It's one of those hmm, it's something to think about, but mm-hmm. I I don't think it's definitive, not that I think anything is really definitive, but that has puzzled people over the ages that regardless of the vast, vast differences, either in time and place and mm-hmm. culture, there are certain fundamental, moral values that all humans seem to share.
0: Well, let, let, me, let me break in here and talk about something that somebody might throw out there to defend this. Like, why are these moral codes similar? Somebody's probably going to argue that not only do biological uh, entities evolve, but cultures evolve. And the reason that they're all similar is they all found ways— to to survive better. You know, not stealing yeah. it helps my survival. Not killing helps my survival. No adultery helps my survival because now I know that those children are my offspring. And yeah. I can hear people already saying uh, evolution explains why we all have evolved with similar moral codes. Even the even the headhunters in, in some remote regions still only murder other. They don't murder their own clan. They go out and find an enemy and eat him instead of eating their own. And it seems to be survival-based. So I really want to take a moment and talk about evolution, uh, Cliff, because... That That's really the the one of the fundamental arguments I hear coming from young people in particular. Even people who grew up in church or going to college and coming home saying, well, what about the evolutionary record?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, see, here's where it gets very interesting. It, it's, look... You say the evolutionary record, I assume you're talking about the fossils, right?
0: Well, that, that's it, because that's where everybody's going to point, and they've yeah. got a nice new, you know, biology textbook, the 87th edition, with a chart that shows them where all the different life forms are in the strata. Sure. sure.
2: Well, here's the thing, and, and this is an important concept for people to grasp. Nobody's denying the existence of the bones in the ground, okay? Right. Right. The bones are there, Okay. But the question is, the question is, for a hundred-some years now... See, the bones don't say, I'm 25,000 years old, or I was... You know, the bones don't say, made in the late Paleozoic
0: era. (laughs) Not stamped with (laughs) made in Taiwan and a serial number. Yeah, they're not
2: stamped, you know, (laughs) uh, 800,000 years ago. You got these artifacts in the ground. They have to be interpreted. Exactly. And there's a thing in the philosophy of science. It's called the theory ladenness of observation.
0: All right. I need wow. that in English. Yeah. You know, I, I actually, I speak Canadian <laughs> oh. English. And if that was American English, Cliff, I need a translation.
2: Well, let's look at it. The theory ladenness of observation. What does that mean? Well, let's take this for a minute. Let's say... We took somebody who grew up in the Amazon rainforest 500 years ago, or you took somebody anywhere 200 years ago, and you were able to transport them to our time right now. Okay. Let's say there was that person and Sean, and you walk into a garage, and there's a spiffy new 2016 Ford Mustang
0: yeah okay. that's not in my garage in my garage okay. is something that yeah. predates the fossil bones
2: yeah yeah okay yeah yeah that edsel you got yeah, yeah. i remember that <laughs> thing you crank my hand yeah no that's you know right yeah.
0: that's i need but, someone else to help yeah. me start my car
2: yeah you you're gonna look you're gonna see two different things or you're gonna well, well physically you're gonna you're the light reaching from the car hitting your retinas That's then going to go to the back of your eye, and it's going to be translated into neural hormones in your brain. That's going to be somewhat similar. But how you interpret what you see is going to be radically different. And the point is, if... Okay, let's take it closer. You're a biblical creationist. Mm -hmm. You see bones in the ground. You could think, well, maybe the flood put these bones here. The flood... OK, yep. Some, you know, the creature died. Someone's an evolutionist is going to look over millions. Of, they're going to see the same bones, but they're going to interpret what they see differently. And I'm arguing that th- this fossil record, yes, it can be interpreted to mean evolution, but that's it's what they call a paradigm you come in with a certain set of assumptions sure, sure. or a certain set of beliefs. So you look at it. You've ever seen the famous duck-rabbit picture? Yeah. Somebody could look at the picture, and what you're looking at the exact thing. One minute it looks like a duck. The next minute it looks like a rabbit. And so, so the point is, all I'm saying is, look, the fossils are in the ground, but to say this is proof of evolution is to bring presuppositions... Right certain assumptions, bringing a whole concept to those bones in the ground and interpreting them that so, way. So, in
0: other words, and, no, nobody's truly empirical. Nobody's truly 100% empirical. We're all bringing a set of values and presuppositions to the table when we begin to examine the evidence. There are very few people that gather 100% of the evidence with no preconceived oh, notion and say, now what does this it's tell impossible. me? It's, yeah.
2: it's impossible. You know, there, there are arguments in the philosophy of science where... You don't even know how to do You don't even know what to look for without preconceptions. How do you build them? It was funny. Somebody said to me once a while back, well, what about the Large Hadron Collider in CERN, that big atom
0: smasher? Oh, that one was going to destroy the whole universe when they fired it off.
2: Yeah, that was that same one. You know, they say, well, that's really in Paris. That's getting right down. You know, they, they said they found the Higgs boson. Right. Well, when they say they found the Higgs boson, what do they mean? But What, they smashed these protons and out popped the Higgs and somebody grabbed it with the tweezers and was <laughs> holding it and said, hey, look, here's the Higgs. No, when they smash those protons together, if the Higgs comes out of it, the Higgs exists for one zeptosecond. Yeah. That's effective. one to the 10 to the negative 25th second. So no
0: human there- being ever saw it.
2: No device could capture that. Hmm. What they say when they found the Higgs is, what they did is they smashed these protons. The Higgs, if the Higgs did come out, it decays into all these other particles. And they've got millions and millions of dollars worth of machines and detectors which are analyzing this. And when they say they found, that they're analyzing these parts, they said they saw a bump in the data okay this bump in the data eight layers or 12 layers later and that bump would come if possibly that were a higgs okay right. so the point is i'm not saying they didn't find the higgs and i'm not saying they don't know what they're doing but let's not forget what they're doing
0: they yep. built well they went in looking for the higgs boson it was already a theoretically existing course, particle right. so they go in saying oh we're looking for the higgs boson and when they see something that matches the, the theory, they say, well, there it is. There's Higgs boson.
2: Yeah, yeah and again, I'm not doubting, though though there are – when you realize how difficult it is, it is – I mean, these are smart people. They know what they're doing, but let's not forget what they're doing. They're built an awful lot of theory. But again, the point is when, when we, we talk about there is – When you brought up evolution, and I use the phrase, the theory-ladeness of observation, it's a a fancier way of saying, look, nobody's going to look at it objectively. You look at this, you have your preconceived notions of what you expect, and you're going to interpret it through that way. And my argument is simply that there are other ways to view the data that don't necessarily fit the evolutionary thing, but you're never going to be told that. Right. You're pretty much that's the that's the reigning paradigm of today. That's what, you know, a lot of people believe and you're viewed as an idiot if you believe anything else.
0: Well, you know, th- that's an interesting observation is that sometimes I'll go back and I'll read what people were writing 200 years ago and I'm thinking, oh. what a bunch of idiots. How could they ever believe that was true? But they weren't idiots. They came with a different set of presuppositions. None of these people were stupid. Galileo wasn't stupid, but he does Obviously, he wasn't stupid, but he wouldn't agree with what we see today because he came with an entirely different set of uh, presuppositions.
2: Well, you know, it's funny you bring the Galileo thing up. You know, we look today... We I thought to look at these dumb, ain't, these ignorant ancients looking up in the sky and actually thinking it was the sun moving across the sky. Yeah. But, you know... And 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 so on. Though I thought Ludwig Wittgenstein once said, "Well, I wonder what it looked like if the sun were moving across the sky." Which, of course, the point was it would look exactly Exactly the the same. same. You know, there were some very good scientific arguments against the idea of uh, against the um, heliocentric. Concept of the un uh, uh, of the solar system. In other words, it wasn't just a bunch of dumb Hicks and dumb dumb religious churchmen. There were some very good scientific arguments yeah, at that time, and this is the point. You have had through the history of science, there people have had very good reasons, good scientific evidence for theories that people no longer believe are true. And that's why I think we need to be very careful. I love, I got this great quote from a fella named Alfred North Whitehead. I wish I, I, I try to pull it up right now. It'd be a little hard for me right now to pull it up. But Whitehead had this, he was a well-known writer and philosopher and mathematician. And, uh... And let me see right here. Let me just see if I could grab this quote real quick. Whitehead.
0: Right. Because you're sitting in your library and Silver Spring's going to, actually, you know what, Cliff? I'm going to give you the break to go and look for it because we're up against a break. We're going to be right back. We're sitting down with Clifford Goldstein. He's joining us by Skype from Silver Spring, Maryland. Uh, We're in Loveland, Colorado. You're listening to Disclosure, the new program from the Voice of Prophecy. We'll be right back after this brief announcement.
4: under the cloud of illegitimacy. His real father, far more powerful than anyone could imagine. The unlikely king who ignited a global movement. The world forever changed. His legacy, an empire reaching across centuries. His name, Constantine. Shadow Empire, changing the way you think, the way you live, and even the way you believe. War, power, influence, a battle for your mind in the name of religious freedom. A legendary story, a warning for today. Shadow Empire, starting April 28th. Exclusive footage from the land where it all started. Conspiracy, secrecy, your future. ShadowEmpire.com, find a location near you. Shadow Empire, it's not what you've been told.
0: Welcome back from the break. You are listening to the Voice of Prophecies Disclosure Program. We're sitting down with Cliff Goldstein. Well, actually, we're not actually sitting in a room with Cliff Goldstein. Gene and I are sitting in Loveland, Colorado. He's joining us by Skype from Silver Spring, Maryland. And we've been talking about the existence of God and the challenges that people have been mounting against the existence of God in sort of the postmodern, contemporary, philosophical world, or even just in popular culture. And uh, just before we went to the break, we were talking about something called the theory-ladenness of observation. Cliff unpacked uh, that for us a little bit and was talking about the presuppositions that everybody brings to data, whether it's bones in the ground or, or whatever it is. Cliff, um, we've been talking about evolution. People look at the same data. They get a different conclusion. If you are a believer in God, you're going to read the bones in the ground probably differently than somebody who doesn't want there to be a God. Um, but here's the question I want to put to you now. I have l- watched Christians, and, uh, you know, by watching Christians, I mean I've been reading their opinions, say, since the late 19th century, the 1880s, the 1890s, after evolution of, uh, or sorry, the origin of species comes out from, uh, from right. Darwin. And I watched theologians try to reconcile these ideas? Well, maybe, you know, if the evidence is in the ground and we evolve slowly, maybe God used the process of evolution to create this world. And so some people would call that theistic evolution. Yeah, evolution is real, and God set it up that way, and it's his idea. What's your response to that?
2: Well, I. it's, it's more and more common, but it, it just doesn't work.
0: I okay, mean, tell me why.
3: Just,
2: it just doesn't work. I mean, either if you truly... I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I'll come right out and say it. If, if the Darwinian model or something like it is really what happened, the Bible cannot be true. It cannot be true. I mean, it just to, totally, completely— well, why,
0: not? why not? Why not? I mean, couldn't it be that you know, God created to, the heavens and the earth, and in that one verse is, is four and a half billion years?
2: Well, I mean, if you—look, if you take even the broadest reading of the first few chapters of Genesis— the broadest reading two things are utterly apparent okay everything was planned planned perfectly nothing was left to chance and that each species was made after its own kind there was like one made you know the plants were made one way The this animal was made this way each one the trees each after its own kind so there wasn't one common ancestor out of which they sprouted from Right. Say,
0: so, so I'm not really reading, related to the carrot.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, according to Richard Turnip, you're uh, Richard Dawkins. Richard, you dis- just
0: called him Richard Turnip. We're not yeah, related Mr. to the Dr. turnip oh, either. That's and,
2: great. Yeah, yeah. We're all distant relatives of turnips, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so, nothing left to chance. Every, you know, and completely different origins in terms of different kinds. Right. Well, so- the broadest reading of evolution, even the most broad reading, is that um, everything is was came by chance, random speculation, and that we all have common ancestors. I mean, I've read, and I'm actually even working on a
0: book now
2: in fact, it's funny you asked me because I'm working on a book called "Baptizing the Devil." Oh, here, comes a, here comes a here comes a free plug. Here comes a
0: free plug for Clifford Goldstein's yeah. new book.
2: That's a great yeah, title, well, Cliff. Re- I love writing, it. Yeah, it's not out yet, but "Evolution and the Seduction of Christianity." It's called "Baptizing the Devil." But anyway, mm. the point is, they can't be harmonized, and I think the reason, though, that so many Christians are, are feeling that the desire to do this, the need to do this, is 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 it's, in many ways, it's a modern myth. It's called the myth of
0: scientism. Good. Unpack that it's for not, me because a lot of people may not be familiar with the term scientism.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's not science. Science is great. Science is wonderful. Science has done wonderful things and has opened up new vistas of reality. But scientism, and it's, it could be broadly defined different ways, but it's basically it's the idea that because all reality, everything is purely materialistic, is purely could be broken down to fermions and bosons and quantum fields and, and, and physics and chemistry and biology, that really the best, if not the only way to really know truth is through science itself. In other words, there's this attitude, well, science says it, Therefore, who dares? I mean, who ever heard the thing? Well, it's science. It's science. Because I find it hilarious how often does, you know, the latest scientific data take this pill for depression, 20 years later, all oh, the latest scientific data now is that pill will make you suicidal. Right. Okay. But, you know, and, and, you know, this whole idea, and how many years did the tobacco companies do science they hired scientists
0: yeah exactly
2: scientists doing it so you think that they were then have some preconceived notions anyway but the point is it's just this idea in our century science has almost become the sacral mode of knowledge if science says something oh my goodness you got to be a fool at least that's the common thinking
0: well people and, almost invoke science like people used to invoke God. I've heard people say yeah. we know this is happening in the world because science has proven it. And that no, should that, and that settles it. Everybody needs to accept yeah. it at that point. We know
2: there is that bumper sticker, God says it, I believe it, that settles it. Well you can and and you can mock that to a certain degree. Sure. I mean, how do you know God says it? But but the but the other point is it's now science says it, I believe it, that settles mm-hmm. it. And uh, And that's a myth, and it's a very powerful one, and that's what I think is happening. So many, so many Christians, well, science says it, and this and that, and therefore they have to believe it, and believe me, I spent the past few years of my life doing a lot of reading, and that's why I've been working on this book, just to show people, hey, not so fast. Exactly. Because science says it, okay, let's take a look at it, but... It comes back again to the assumptions. What are the assumptions they need in order to do their science?
0: Very, anyway. very few people have had to ultimately apologize for the content of the Bible over, over all of the millennia. We've had to apologize for how we behave, We, but very rarely, I mean, almost never has anybody changed their mind. They may change their mind about how they interpret Scripture, say, when sure. we went to a heliocentric solar system and so on. But well, for you know, the basic content, nobody, the, the Bible's just never been... Fa- uh you know successfully challenged as far as its ultimate content,
2: you know you brought up the heliocentric you know we talked about Galileo, yeah, you know that's the typical argument the the ignorant churchman, hey, where does the if you re- i've read Galileo's book, the one that got him in you know got yeah. him thrown in the royal pokey, and if you read it, he was charged with you know teaching heresy, and what was the heresy that the earth sat immobile in the center of the universe, why all You know, the planet circled around it. He taught against that. That was considered the heresy. But where does the Bible ever teach that? The Bible never teaches it. What happened was the church was interpreting the scripture through the Darwin of their day. And that was Aristotle. Right. Okay. Nothing in the Bible teaches the earth sits immovable at the center of the universe and everybody's... All the planets circle it, orbit it in perfect spheres. That was science incorporated into the Bible. And theistic evolutionists today are doing the same thing. They're seeking to interpret the Bible through the latest and greatest science. Though the difference, I, it's, it's a foundational difference, though. Even if Aristotle were right, doesn't matter. The Bible never addresses that. But if darwin's right jesus is wrong
0: yeah that's- and and that that's that is really what it boils down to if you look at the key story being told in the bible in the first few chapter, we've only got minutes left in the in the program but the first few chapters say uh death came because of man's rebellion Evolution says that death is part of God's plan, and if you accept that God included death and survival of the fittest, the cross of Christ ultimately becomes completely unnecessary because sin That's is God's true. problem in the first place, and imperfection is God's design in the first place, and it, it completely falls apart. So what I want to do in the in just the few minutes that we have left, Cliff—we've got like four minutes left— um, what does it mean if there's no God? I mean, what hope is there? What, if, we, if we reject the existence of God, what does that do to a human being? Uh, what does it ultimately mean?
2: Well, let me quote you, paraphrase a Frenchman named Albert Camus. Yeah. Said, unless there is a reality that transcends this world and its suffering, nothing is true but this world and its suffering, okay? In other words, if there is no God, if this is it, if there's nothing else at in, in all, then we live, we suffer, we die, then anybody that ever knew us is gonna die, any memory of us. You know, I read something the other day where they said, because you know, everything is becoming digital. Right. If You know, and if, if our civilization were to die out, you know, and 10,000 years a new one arose, almost all our records would be gone because, you know, every now and then we got to back up our hard drives and so on because this digital stuff doesn't last forever. But the point is if this is it, if there is no God, if there is nothing supernatural, if there is nothing supernatural, then it's all pretty absurd and meaningless and if you feel as if you don't have hope guess what you don't have hope if you feel hopeless and the world is hopeless well you're right it is hopeless this world in and of itself what does it offer us some pain you know some joys you know, how much joy compared to how much pay, but even if you got all this great joy, whatever, one day you're gonna be dead, every memory of you is gonna be dead, anybody who ever knew you, no memory of you is gonna, it would make no matter if you ever existed, had you hadn't been born, it will make no difference at all. And that's kind of a tough slog for well, beings like yeah. ourselves who can comprehend when you, the concept when you, of transcendence. When you
0: look at when you look at what came out of the lives of the late philosophers, late 19th century, early 20th, a lot of them just died in despondency. And and the end result was, you know, the, I, I don't remember who it was. I don't think it was Nietzsche, but somebody eventually said, "If God doesn't exist, we better invent one," because uh, the ramifications of not having a God are just absolutely brutal i find it interesting it's ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 cliff it's one of my favorite passages god has put eternity in the human heart and even the most nihilistic person on earth uh, eventually comes to the conclusion there's got to be something better than this i think it was you pointed out that when they they buried the author of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy uh douglas adams Adams. they they actually still put a tree on his grave why Uh, why why put a tree on the grave
2: oh yeah they talked if with if with me, it was me, who's Douglas Adams? Or it was not him, but there was, yeah, maybe it was him. But there was, I remember Richard Dawkins did a eulogy for an atheist biologist friend of his, and all he did was talk about how they buried him and how eventually his molecules would go up in the clouds and yeah, spores that would maybe eventually wind up back in the Amazon rainforest again, and uh. It was kind of sad. It's sad, uh, and
0: and it's tragic. Cliff, I'm going to cut in. We are out of time. We're at the end of our show. I want to thank you for taking time. The new book that you're going to put out soon was called, again, Baptizing the Devil.
2: Baptizing the Devil, Evolution and the Seduction of Christianity. we will need about another year, and I hope to have it.
0: Good. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you for joining us, those in our listening audience. This has been Disclosure, the new program from The Voice of Prophecy, broadcasting from our studios in Loveland, Colorado. Remember to visit our website, vop.com. You can find the entire show there, plus a lot of other features. Take care. God bless. We'll see you soon.